This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We've been taking a look at our perspective uh, this past week. On Sunday night, we took a look at uh, an upward look. We took a look at the glory of God from Isaiah chapter 42 and how we can see God's glory through Jesus Christ, through creation, through his continual, faithful, unfailing love. Last night, we took an inward look. We took a look at our own sinful condition. We took a look at uh, Joshua chapter 7, where uh, one person caused the downfall of of his entire family, uh, of multiple other people because of his sinful condition. Tonight we're taking a look at the cross and everything that it means to us and the, the deliverance that it provides for us. Um, You've you seen your notes here, Isaiah 53. We're gonna get there in just a second. We're gonna take a look at Psalm 22 as well. Uh, we're gonna read through Psalm 22. This is uh, known as a messianic psalm. It's a psalm of prophecy, speaking of Jesus Christ, um, written long before Christ would ever even be born. Uh, and so um, Psalm 22 is where we're gonna start and then we'll flip over to Isaiah 53. Most folks have read the gospel accounts of Christ's crucifixion. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the first three uh, gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell pretty much the same story from different perspectives. Uh, the book of John is unique in the telling of, of uh, some stories that we don't find in the other gospels, and so it's unique from that perspective. But all four gospels speak of the crucifixion of Christ. It's the most uh, important um, event in all of human history, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But a lot of folks have never actually read the Old Testament accounts of the crucifixion and suffering of Christ, and we find ourselves there tonight in Psalm 22 as we take a look at the cross. Tonight is a Calvary look and a look to the cross. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, these words would actually be uttered by Jesus Christ himself on the cross. Again, uh, this was a prophecy that David wrote in this case here. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, and they trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, that did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lion and poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. 
haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me with the horns of the unicorns. I'll declare my name unto the brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, and all the seed of Jacob glorify him and fear him, all the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be out of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall turn, shall remember and turn unto the Lord. All the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is the Lord's. He is the governor among the nations, and all they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship, and they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none shall, can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. What a powerful psalm. It speaks of the suffering of Christ, but it, uh, just like any psalm of lament that we find in the book of Psalms always closes with rejoicing and praise for all that God has done. Turn it over to Isaiah chapter 53. This is where we're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time here tonight. Isaiah chapter 53 was written probably about 700 years before the birth of Christ, uh, somewhere in the ballpark of that. So again, we see hundreds of years before Christ would ever even be born, a detailed uh, account of the suffering of Jesus Christ written by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 53, verse one, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus' uh, uh, appearance was really nothing to write home about, a really very plain person. Uh, it's, it's funny, sometimes when you see uh, Sunday school accounts of uh, Sunday school photos of Jesus, you know, he's always lily white uh, with long, perfect, beautiful, wavy brown hair, uh, always really uh, sharp looking, always strong, and you can always pick him out of a crowd, right? The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that when people saw him, they didn't see anything unique about him. It goes on in verse number three, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in death because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. 
yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I don't know that there's a lot more powerful passages of Scripture than the ones we just read tonight. When you think of the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross, crucifixion was the worst way that someone could die. Uh, Prior to the Roman Empire, uh, another empire had actually began the process of crucifixion. What they would do is they would take a stake and put it in the ground and sharpen the end of the stake, and then they would place bodies on the stake and hang them there to die. But what they found was they would die far too soon. Uh, They would last only minutes by being impaled by this. And so the Romans really kind of ratcheted it up and on and found a way to keep people alive for the longest period of time in the most excruciating agony. The word excruciating that we have in our English language actually literally means uh, in Latin, from the cross is where we get the word. It speaks of the incredible pain uh, that the crucifixion would take place. And when it came time for Christ to die, he could have died many different ways. The Bible tells us that he had to shed his blood because the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that purchases our forgiveness of sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So Jesus had to die a bloody death. Jesus couldn't have had a heart attack. He couldn't have died by old age. He had to shed his blood. But he shed his blood in the most difficult way possible. Jesus Christ was beaten The beating itself almost took Jesus' life and left him so physically exhausted, so physically depleted that he couldn't even carry his own cross up the hill to Calvary. When he got to the cross, oftentimes we see uh, pictures um, uh, maybe of the crucifixion and we see that they had uh, maybe placed um, nails in his hands and put his feet over one another and put a nail through his feet. Sometimes they would actually take spikes and run them through the wrist bone so that the skin wouldn't tear on the hands to keep them alive just a little bit longer. They would drive that nail between the the bones of the arm and hold them in place like that. Sometimes they would put foot over foot and drive one spike through the center of both feet, but sometimes they found that uh, that made it a little bit easy on them. So what they would sometimes do is put the feet on the side of the cross and run uh, spikes through their ankle bones so that they could prop themselves up on both sides of that. Again, often pictures that we see of Christ's crucifixion, we see him with a loincloth wrapped around him. The Romans would not have been so kind to give him that type of discretion. Most people were crucified naked. We often see sometimes that they were uh, crucified Jesus Christ really high and people stood from afar off and looked. But generally, history tells us that Roman crucifixion didn't take place that way. They crucified them usually at eye level so that people could go by and spit on them and mock them and make fun of them. And as Jesus stood there amongst these mockers who would blaspheme his name, who cast lots for his clothing, who derided him, 
reviled his name, mocked him by saying, hey, if you really are the son of God, get off that cross. Hey, you can save other people. Why don't you save yourself? And all the while he looks out and he sees his mother. He sees one of his apostles. Where are the rest of them? They've split, they've left, they've gone. And as he hangs there with no food, no water, he says, I thirst. They run and they grab a a sponge and fill it with vinegar that had fermented and contained a a mixture of vinegar and alcohol and they put it to his lips, but he wouldn't take it. Oftentimes they would give that to people who were dying because it would numb the pain, but Jesus Christ refused that because he needed to feel the suffering. And as he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You and I have had times in our lives where we have felt like God's left us. No doubt the psalmist did as he wrote the exact same words in Psalm 22. We feel like God's forgotten us. We feel like maybe God's left us behind. But no one has ever been completely abandoned by God the way that Jesus Christ was. Because God cannot be near our sin because of his holiness. At that moment when Jesus Christ became the sin of the world, and he took upon himself my sin and yours, God says, I cannot be a part of this. And God stepped back and turned his back on his son. For the first time in all of eternity, God the Father and God the Son now had a wedge between them, and that wedge was sin. And it wasn't just any sin, it was my sin. It wasn't just any sin, it was your sin that drove that wedge between a father and a son to where Jesus Christ cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Bible says the, the whole earth went black. The sun refused to shine as the sinless son of God became the sin of the world and suffered and bled. He let out one final victorious cry and said, it is finished. Some of the sweetest words in all of the Bible. Redemption's work has been done. The price has been paid. Sin has been paid for once and for all because of the sacrifice that I make here. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Notice the Romans didn't take his life, he gave it up. He says, no man takes my life, I give my life and when I'm done, I'm gonna take it up again. And he rose again the third day victorious over sin, death and the grave. Some people would errantly teach that Jesus Christ during that three year period went to hell because he had to pay for the sins of mankind. That couldn't be further from the truth because Jesus Christ said upon the cross, it is finished, it is paid in full. It is taken care of once and for all. There is no more restitution to be made for the sin of mankind. But his suffering wasn't for nothing. You see, Jesus' suffering brings us freedom. Two other guys died that way and the same day that Jesus did. Thousands of people would be crucified in the same way that Jesus did. But every single one of them died for a reason other than Jesus died. Jesus suffered to bring us freedom. The question is, if Jesus died to give us freedom, are we living in that freedom? Friend, are you free from sin tonight? 
I'm not talking about in an overall arching sense. We know that uh, we have chosen Jesus Christ as our Savior and we are forgiven of our sin and we are free. But many times we can come back around and make ourselves slaves to sin. Romans chapter six says, we no longer have to be, but we can choose to sometimes. Are you living in the freedom of sin, of, from sin? That's what Jesus suffered for. Are we living the victorious Christian life? Can I say that I am everything that God intended me to be because of what Jesus has done for me? I hope that you can. If not, then Jesus' suffering was in vain. Paul says to the uh, Galatian church, he says to them, if you could be saved by your good works and the works of the law, then Jesus Christ has died in vain. And I think the saying that Jesus Christ has died in vain would probably be one of the most blasphemous things that anyone could ever say if it were true. Jesus Christ, you died for nothing. <laughs> Jesus was a waste. That statement itself is so loaded with blasphemy, if it's true. But you see, you and I have the opportunity to be free from sin because of the suffering of Christ. Are we living in that victory? Next, we see that Jesus' suffering brings our peace. Take a look at verse number five. From Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. For you and I to have peace with God, for you and I to have peace on a day-to-day -day basis, there, there was a price that needed to be paid, and that was paid in full by the suffering of Jesus Christ. Again, because this prophecy had already been written 700 years prior, there was no other way than for Jesus to suffer and bleed and die. It had to be fulfilled. As we see in uh, Psalm 22, it says that his bones were out of joint and his heart was melted like wax. We see that fulfilled in Christ's crucifixion as well. There was no other way for him to die other than via the cross and the crucifixion. But this brings us peace. Friend, do you have peace with God tonight? Do you have a peace in your soul knowing that God is your father, knowing that Christ is your brother, knowing that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home, that everything is right between you and the Lord? Jesus suffered for that peace. And if you don't have it, you're wasting Jesus' suffering. It's a gift that we've been given, but oftentimes Christians don't live under the peace that we have in a right relationship with God. As I read through Isaiah 53, there's two verses that always stand out to me. Verse five is so incredibly uh, um, full of so many doctrinal implications. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, Isaiah 53, five, but there's two verses in particular that really jump out to me verses 10 and 11. Just the first phrase here causes confusion, makes me want to know more, makes me want to, to know God more. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. To think of the beating that Christ endured, to think of the lies that were told about him, to think about the crown of thorns that was jammed down on his head, he began to bleed. 
If you think about the beating that was so bad, the Bible says he didn't even look like a man. The Bible says his visage was so scarred that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. And to think that God sits back and go, that's good. Yep, that's good. That, that for me, I, I struggle with it. The fact that Jesus' suffering pleased God. Again, I wish there was another way that Jesus could have paid for the sins of mankind. I wish there was a better way to get this accomplished. I wish there was a plan B. And Jesus himself said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me, but thy will be done. And he says, hey, there's another way. There's a plan B. Now's the time to, to call it, but I'm willing to go to the cross because that's what needs to be done. You see, there wasn't another way. Sin requires payment, and that payment is always death every single time. And Jesus knew it's either my life or theirs. Blows my mind that Jesus would think either I have to die or Anthony does. I'll go. I I don't understand it. If I live to be 100, I'll never fully grasp that. Knowing the suffering that lie ahead, Jesus was fully God. He was also fully man. He experienced the pain that you and I would have. He knew what was coming, yet he chose it anyways. But the worst part that Jesus, the worst suffering that Jesus endured was not the physical pain. Again, thousands of people were crucified in the same way, some more violent. The real suffering that Jesus endured was the suffering for our sin. God placed upon him the weight of sin of mankind. And God, because he is holy and just and requires a payment for sin, poured out his wrath upon Jesus Christ. And the pain that Jesus endured upon the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was not for a physical pain, it was for the spiritual wrath that God had turned loose on his son. And Jesus said, worth it. Jesus chose to suffer because of his great love for us. How can God be pleased by that? If you look on verse 10, he hath put him to grief. You see, verse 10 says that God put Jesus to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Take a look at verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul. Uh, the, the word travail there is the word pain, intense pain. It's often used as the pain that a woman uh, experiences during childbirth. This is how Jesus' soul felt. You saw the anguish and pain of his soul and God was satisfied. Again, you look at that and you go, how can God go? Yeah, that was good. That's exactly what I wanted. Why? Here's the answer. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus is bearing the sin of mankind and now I can have sinners as my sons and daughters. 
Now I can pay for the sins of mankind because of what my son has done on the cross. And friend, you and I on a daily basis need to stop and take a look at the cross and everything that it means for us. At Hui Kala, we don't have any crosses in our auditorium. We don't have any crosses in our uh, lobby. We don't have any crosses anywhere. Sometimes people come to our church and say, it's kind of weird to be in a church with no crosses. Like, you guys need some stained glass and some crosses and a big pipe organ and stuff like that. It's just like, no. Um, Oftentimes people look at crosses as the cross itself holding some type of power. Uh, And the Bible tells us, guards us against graven images. Now, if somebody has a a cross on your your necklace or a bracelet or something like that, it's not about that. But if you find power in a piece of jewelry or a piece of furniture or something like that, that's the opposite of what the Bible commands us to do. And so we just don't have crosses around here. I want you to think about the cross in your own heart. I want you to have a fresh look at what the cross means for you every single day. And if Jesus was willing to go to the cross for me, I should be willing to live for him today. Hey, if Jesus was willing to bear my sin, then I should be willing to bear his name. If Jesus would call me forgiven, I want to live like I'm forgiven. If God would call me his son, I want to live like a son. I'm telling you this, a focus on the cross, just the right perspective of who God is and his glory and his awesomeness and who I am and the wretchedness of my sinful condition and what the cross does for a person like me allows me to more clearly see the glory of God and the forgiveness that I have through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus bore our grief, our sorrows, our transgressions, and our iniquities. Take a look at verse four. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It's interesting, verse four is a prophecy of what would take place of Christ. When Christ was wrongfully accused, when he was beaten, when he was crucified, when lies were told about him, people blamed him for it. Oh, getting what he deserved. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5 clarifies that, though. But he was wounded for our transgressions, not his own. He was bruised for our iniquities, not his own. The chastisement of our peace, the cost of peace with God was upon him. And with his stripes, we're healed. I think one of the greatest doctrines in all of the Bible, I guess it's hard to say that the Bible's good and all doctrine's good, but the, one of the most amazing doctrines of the Bible is what we call the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. I deserve that, but Jesus paid anyways. I deserve to die. Jesus died in my place. I deserve to be cast away from God, but Jesus became a castaway for me. I deserve to be a slave to my sin, but Jesus bore my sin and now makes me a son. I deserve to be ostracized from God, but I'm adopted now by God. Why? Because of Jesus, because of his suffering, because of the cross, I'm forgiven. 
Don't deserve it. But you know what I see oftentimes Christians get hung up when they take back their own grief, when they take back their own suffering, when they take back their own sin and they put it upon themselves. Whether going back to sin like we discussed last night, whether it's guilt and shame that you carry from past sin, whether it's grief that you're overwhelmed with that you carry on, and I've met so many people who their hurt becomes their identity. Somebody did something to them, maybe as a child. It was terrible. It should have never happened. But that now becomes their identity and who they are. And they take that grief and that guilt and that shame and that sorrow and they form their whole life around and that just becomes who they are. The Bible says, no, 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 you missed it. Jesus took all that to the cross for you so you don't have to hurt. He endured the pain. He suffered so that you don't have to suffer. He paid for your sin so that you're no longer a slave to it. And if you choose to be a slave to your sin, it's your choice. Romans chapter six tells us that. But you've been set free from that. You don't have to go back to that any longer. Your shame of your sin was put to death on the cross. Now, mind you, this is assuming that you've repented of your sin. I cannot just continue in my sin and just say, well, God just covers it all and it's okay and I'm just gonna continue to sin. Romans five says you can't do that. Romans six says you can't do that. But if I've really repented of my sin, I don't have to carry the guilt of that. I don't have to carry the shame of that. Jesus carried it for me. And again, friend, if you carry grief, guilt, shame, sin, you're taking off of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Hey, Jesus, I know you already took care of that on the cross, but I'm gonna handle this over here. Hey, this hurt that I've been carrying for weeks, months, years, decades, I know you put that to death on the cross, but I need that back because I need to carry that for a little bit longer. I'm gonna put that in my backpack. That's a load that I need to carry myself. And you detract from the suffering of Jesus Christ. Jesus, your suffering wasn't enough. I'm gonna take care of that. And friend, when we take our sin back up again, we say, Jesus, I know that you've set me free from this, but I really just want it again. And your death on the cross means very little to me. I'm thankful that I have a ticket to heaven now, but I'll take my sin back if you would. It takes away from the suffering of Christ. It takes away from the awesomeness and the majesty of it. And friend, I'm here to tell you tonight, you have been set free. If you're a child of God, you've been set free. And if you're not a child of God, you are still in bondage and you will forever be in bondage until the day that you lay down your sin at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that you have. I promise you that. Two final thoughts here tonight. Again, at the end of every message, I give you a, a thought to pray through. Again, we're Bible-believing Baptists, and so we don't give you uh, written prayers to memorize and to say, but here's the thought behind it. God, is there any guilt, shame, or sin that I'm still carrying? Is there any past hurt that I have that I'm not willing to let go of? And I'm telling you this, here's the hardest part. When your guilt, shame, hurt, and sin become your identity, it's 10 times harder to get rid of it. Because this is just who I am. This is who I've always been. I've always been like this. I've always had a chip on my shoulder because everything's been hard for me my whole life. I've always had a chip on my shoulder because I was mistreated as a child. I've always had a chip on my shoulder because nothing ever goes my way and it becomes our identity. Is that guy who's always mad or mad at God or mad at everybody else or deeply wounded? That's who we are. 
all over my heart on my sleeve because uh, I've been hurt so many times. Hey, look, give that to Jesus and become a new creature the way the Bible says. Romans 6 also tells us that when we were baptized into Jesus Christ, not speaking of water baptism, but when we were fully immersed by Jesus Christ, we were raised with him to walk in newness of life. New life. And if you're not living in that new life, you're missing out on part of the best part of being a Christian. You don't have to carry that anymore. You're forgiven. And I I hate the idea that we need, well, I just need to love myself more. You already love yourself way too much. You don't need more of it. I just need to learn to forgive myself. Show me a Bible verse where you get to forgive yourself. I've never seen it. I'll show you 100 Bible verses where you have been set free. That's where you gotta live. But the idea that you need to love yourself more, forgive yourself more, it's not a biblical idea. The Bible says that no man's ever hated his own flesh. Pastor, I do. I, I, I hate myself. I think about myself all day. If you think about only yourself all day, that is not self-hatred. That is pride. And that's a sin that needs to be confessed as well. You can't allow your hurt. You can't allow your past to become your identity. You have to allow Jesus to become your identity. Bottom line. Final thought. In light of Jesus' suffering, am I living at my potential based on the price you paid for me? Do you want to paraphrase that? Are you living a life that was worth Jesus dying for? Did Jesus die on the cross just so that you could have a, a little bit of fire insurance and not go to hell but live in heaven and then just hang out and watch Netflix till Jesus comes? Is that all you're supposed to accomplish in your life? Am I living at my God-given potential? Is there some way that I can maximize God's glory in my life to a greater degree because of what Jesus has done? Angela and I came to a point probably 10 years ago where we asked God, God, is this it for us? Is there some way that we can take it up to the next level? Is there a way that we could give you more glory through our life? Is there something else that we could do with our lives to be of more use to the cause of Christ? And God says, hang on, I got something for you. That's how we wound up here, no lie. I realized I was not living at my God-given potential. And I don't believe that any person in this room is living at their God-given potential yet. I still think I got some growing to do. I still think there's greater things that God has in store for me personally. No, I don't think it's another church. I don't think it's going anywhere else. I believe this is where God has me. I've asked God to allow me to pastor this church until the day that I retire. I want to be here forever. But I believe that God expects more of me, and I want to find out, God, what's the next level for me? How do I take it up a notch? (laughs) If Jesus suffered, bled, and died for me, he knew what was coming, and he chose to take it. What do I got to do? not to pay it back. I could never pay back the gift that I've been given. And it wouldn't be a gift if I could pay it back. I don't feel like I I, I owe God something and I gotta make sure that he and I are even. Guys love to do that, don't we? Guys especially. You took me to dinner that one time when we went out in 2013. It's my time to get you back. It's just like, dude, let it go. And sometimes we feel like we gotta pay God back something. God, God, God doesn't expect a payback. 
What God has given you, this is gonna blow your mind. What God's given you is an investment and he expects a return on his investment. Are we giving him that? I can never pay it back, but I can take what he's given me and use it for the kingdom. I can take what he's given me and use it to advance the cause of Christ. I can take what he's given me and pass it on to others and invest it in the lives of others. That I can do. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.